1: and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lim Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. I'm Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and I'm here with Lynn today. I know we haven't been on this podcast for a while, so I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. How are you doing, Lynn?
0: I'm doing okay, but like you, it's COVID times, and so this is part of what we want to talk about.
1: Yeah, exactly. So what we noticed is, you know, during this pandemic, mental health is obviously coming up and there's a lot of questions around how to cope with this situation as it continues to unfold and you know so even though this is traditionally more of a podcast about sexuality our expertise is really in talking about mental health in general i'm a therapist you're a psychiatrist and we really just want to be able to share some of our wisdom to help our listeners be able to manage themselves, to feel that they have skills and tools to cope with the ongoing COVID situation. And so we're creating a new sort of branch, I guess is the way I would say it. So we're creating a new branch that we're calling Unmasked, Managing Mental Health During the COVID Times.
0: And I think it's a really telling title. Because behind our mask, assuming we are wearing masks, not all of us are, but there's a lot really going on for everybody. And I would say I have learned more from my patients and other people during these COVID times than I ever have, Jen. So it's really been a different experience from me learning from those around me.
1: Mm-hmm. I think what has been really interesting and challenging about this experience is that as a therapist, t- typically you're working with people and they're bringing up different problems that they have going on in their lives. But it's rare that everyone is dealing with a very stressful event all at the same time. And so it's brought up a lot of questions for me about how to manage that for, on like my own as a therapist and taking care of my own mental health as I'm there to guide and support my clients with theirs.
0: And, and that's something I share that with you, that working with clients, you know, I I'm, I'm, have a lot of my own input. Uh, we're trained as therapists to kind of hold back our, our own opinions a lot of the time. But many times there's an internal pressure to kind of push your opinion out there when you have much the same experience as your clients are having. Uh, but I've also seen that people's responses to this can be quite different. Yeah. And some are coping a lot better than others are, really.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so today we thought for our first topic, we would really focus on the concept of working during COVID, because that's something that's coming up for a lot of people, having to balance work life, having to balance work in school with children, and also for the people who are essential workers who ha- are having to work in this stressful environment.
0: Yes, you know, thinking about that, there seems to be, you know, as you said, a couple of different groups. There's also the group that's kind of lost their work and are yeah. somewhat adrift. They're the the workers no longer working but still really wanting to work. Mm-hmm. So I think these different groups that we find ourselves in make a big difference about how we're dealing with COVID.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think for me it brings up a lot of the question about how. For so many people, work is very tied into identity and so having sort of these different options available or not available to people is really affecting not just their literal working status, but also their own identity around who they are as a person and their contributions.
0: And that I've seen with a number of clients and friends. I've particularly noticed it with men. We were talking about this a little bit earlier, that men have such a strong attachment to their work role identity. And now that it's being threatened or maybe it's been moved into the domestic domain, You know, they're now at home with children, with partners, It's a very different situation. So I think a lot of men are having a large response to the shift in the work domain.
1: Yeah, I think this also brings up something that we were chatting about earlier, which is really important for people to understand is I think a lot of people were really hopeful that this would be a moment where this sort of ongoing imbalance between the domestic sphere and the work sphere and the responsibilities that fall on women in the household would sort of rebalance and that it would get renegotiated. And unfortunately, studies are showing that that's not the case and that women are still bearing a lot of the childcare, house cleaning, shopping, sort of daily task responsibilities. And I wanted to kind of take a stab at what might be leading to this. And definitely this is not anything that, you know, I have read a study on or anything. It's just my experience working with people. But what came to mind is that when people are under stress, people like to think that what will happen is that we will get really creative and that we will come up with new opportunities. But when people are in that moment of stress, people actually tend to fall towards what's familiar. And so what's familiar in our society is to have this really imbalanced gender, gender roles, basically. And so I think what is happening is that on some level, because it is familiar for women to take on this task... It is just sort of repeating that pattern. And because the COVID situation is sort of ongoing, and in addition to all the other stressors that are happening around us, people don't get to a place where they are feeling more stable. And it's really that sense of stability after stress that allows for the creative opportunity piece. I don't know what you think about that, but that's just kind of my theory.
0: It's a good theory, Jen. I mean, i I'm puzzled at it too, is why all of a sudden are my couple patients I'm seeing and even friends I know as couples really struggling about this issue. And you see men and women d- doubling down in the gender roles that have existed exactly. so long. You know, Arlene Hoxfeld's work, you know, long ago about the division of labor. I would guess women are still the home managers, in a lot of the cases. And they're doing maybe 10 to 20 hours more per week in that zone, even though the men are right there in the same setting. And so how does that balance? What are the feelings associated with that? The expectation was now you're home, you have the time and you're not doing it kind of thing.
1: Right. I think it's actually raising a lot more resentment because before some people would say, oh, well, they're at work, so they're not able to be here. But when they're there and not engaging, I think that is when it becomes very clear that there's something deeper there, that it wasn't just that they weren't present in like their physical presence, that it was some, That it comes from a deeper place.
0: And I guess what you're suggesting is that we all be supportive an understanding of the change and the stress that these events are putting on us and that we're maybe working toward a change, but now might be that not the time that it manifests. It might be something we really see in the future. I mean, one thing I've suggested to to clients is that they have more discussions with their partners you know at the beginning of the week you discuss things like food management which involves the shopping and the meals and the ordering out if that's part of it Um, so there's a lot that has to go into all of that and having a discussion allows more opportunity to kind of designate roles Um, so I think those sort of discussions especially since so many people are at home really an offer, an opportunity for change.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I think I want to correct. I don't think it's a sign that like we can't make these changes now. I think it's more that like when you understand what is interfering with it, you're able to move from a place of blame to one that is more of compassion. And so if instead of being like they're just not wanting to do this, you can understand that you know this is sort of a default pattern that is getting activated. Well, then you can move towards. Well, what are some of the things that help give us a sense of stability in our life? You know, how do we do things like figure out what are some of the routines that we would like to establish? How do we have these conversations to look at, like, well, what are the expectations that we're holding of each other? Right. And how do you sort of designate? Some of these transitions that typically would happen more naturally because, you know, say someone walks in the door from work or whatever, you're now having to create your own sort of signifiers of when these transitions are happening.
0: And some of the ideas, I think, that we might suggest, you know, that would help people at this point, you know, and in addition, I think to having discussions. One positive change that I've seen is that some people are taking kind of exercise activity breaks from work. And they're using that time to take a walk, you know, and some other outside activity. Maybe make their own little in-house gym that they're building uh, with ropes and yoga mats. That sort of thing can be done as you know in a pod with others and that's more of a joining activity so i think setting up things where you take times and do that is really valuable
1: you actually cut out for a moment there so if you could restate what it was that you were saying about kind of it cut out I think at the like home gym piece.
0: Okay thanks I saw your eyes there uh, Jen with that. Uh, I think one of the positive things that people could do is really during the break time at work at home is maybe do something together that they plan together and you set up a small home gym. Anyone really can do that with a chair and a mat and you know, maybe a couple of weights and set this up and and make it more of a group activity. And I think that joining activities are really, really important. Cooking can be a joining activity, but I think we're still in the gender wars around that. But I think these exercise opportunities are really great. So learning how to do that, it's a good break in our our coping strategy. It's an important coping strategy.
1: I think it's also important to do a lot of internal reflection on what it is that helps you feel more stable. Because what I notice is that My clients who are more introverted are wanting different things than my clients who are extroverted. So for example, I'm pretty extroverted and I'm social. So I'd like to spend time around people. That's very restorative for me. But I have a lot of clients who are much more introverted and they actually get overwhelmed with the level of sort of forced family activities. And so I think it's part of that discussion to be able to say, how do we make sure we have these joint family activities, and how do we make sure that there's some way for people who are more introverted to have a sense of personal space and privacy?
0: You know, I I can really see that, Jen, because many of my younger clients, they have much more family time. The kids are around all the time now, the partner's around all the time. Yeah, And they're looking for time alone,
1: Mm -hmm. which is a
0: really different experience. Whereas many of my older clients are not even living in a pod. They're alone at this time. Mm -hmm. So every phone call matters to them. Mm -hmm. And they're really in a different group with this. And one of the things I do with older clients, I've given them maybe shorter sessions, but more frequent during this so that they can have a touchstone you know, will split their sessions off because they really need that spread out contact.
1: Mm-hmm. But I would
0: agree with you about the families that it can be a little too much family time and a tight space, really.
1: And that's why I think the important thing, again, you know, our, our big underpinning thing is really about how do we have these conversations. And I think the conversation helps people set up realistic expectations with each other. Because what I noticed was that, you know, some of my more extroverted moms, they were sort of forcing their kids to, like, be in the room together all the time. And this was actually creating a lot of problems because their kids just wanted to be left alone. And luckily, they lived in a space that was large enough where, you know, they could go to their own rooms because some people don't have that option. But in this case, like her desire to sort of have that connection was being forced on them. And it actually led to a lot more tension. Whereas when we were able to have sort of a family discussion about it, there was an understanding of, okay, like, how do we have some part of the day be this way, but the kids also have time to just like be in their rooms reading a book.
0: Um, You know, that's, uh, I think, a really good situation. I'm seeing a little girl, Laura, who's about nine years old. And her mother wants her with her brother in the main room most of the time so she can manage them, Mm -hmm. you know, and she's doing her work there, the mom and then the two kids. Laura wants to do her schoolwork in her bed, in her bunk bed, in their room and have some privacy Mm -hmm. and really negotiating that for Laura, who mother thinks has problems because she's not like mother. Mm-hmm. Has really been a challenge. You know, how do you make that work for her? So I agree with you. We're seeing a lot of, of imbalances within families about some need this and some really need other things. So it's really helping the family members you're living with or talking with. You know, it's really important. The other thing I think we should talk about with this is all the hours we're spending on devices now. Mm-hmm. And that has changed a lot for everybody.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's exhausting for people just in very different ways, right? And, and that's been really interesting to explore with some of my clients. I think on, something about online devices also kind of pulls on a more mental, intellectual aspect of relating rather than a more social or physical, emotional way of relating. And so that's been something that has come up in a lot of ways too.
0: Just thinking of it as myself as a grandmother, I have the two most adorable, as all grandmothers do, the best grandkids in the world. And my little four-year-old grandson misses the physical contact. So he often kisses the, the little iPhone that we're talking back and forth on. And we've learned to blow kisses. And as the epidemic's gone on, the blowing kiss time takes a lot of the time of our exchange now. But I see it that he's so used to sitting on my lap and we'd read stories together and we still read stories together, but there's a big distance. Yeah. And that means the device has to work in different ways for us really.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's so fascinating when watching little kids is the way that they seek to get those needs met, right? so. Kids are typically, I think when they're not as stressed out, they're very creative. And I love actually working with children so much because they are so creative. And so that's a wonderfully creative way to kind of keep a sense of physical engagement with you through a device.
0: The other thing we've done is exchange stuffed animals. So he kisses my stuffed animal and I kiss his. So it's kind of an exchange back and forth. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it goes for a lot of of people, not just a grandmother and a four year old, but there are couples that are separated. It brings up sharing emotion over a device, all of that. Mm -hmm. And with everybody, you know, really, how do we share? more than just the words and the head part, how do we share the hearts, our hearts really through the device?
1: Yeah, very much so. And I think it's also one of the things that has come up is that you know typically when you have a work life balance or work like a outside of home work situation, you have a sense of privacy in your home. And for a lot of people, they're sort of trying to navigate that sense of invasion in their space. Because when you're working from home, people are, you know, seeing the things on your wall. They're seeing the space that you live in. And, you know, that's fine for some people. But for people who really value their privacy, it's brought up a lot of feelings of this sense of an invasion of their privacy.
0: You know, I'm thinking about it. You have a lovely set screen behind you today. And we were talking about it screens out your possessions. And I have a little got a garden scene behind me. And, uh, but it is that the work and the devices bring the work with us mm-hmm. in a way that it hasn't been there before. And many of the times when I'm talking with various people work-related, I hear their kids in the background. Yeah. So I know they're managing three, sometimes three children at the same time that we're having a work conference, you know, so these things are this multitasking makes it a lot harder, I think, for everybody.
1: I think the other thing that comes up for me related to that is that we have this very like guardian related relationship towards parenting where a lot of parents feel that they have to be in control of their children. And so rather than sort of allowing their children some space to figure out what works for them and working together in a collaborative fashion, I find a lot of my families, I mean, we've sort of adjusted now, but in the beginning, a lot of it was like parents saying like, you have to do this or you have to be this way. And it created a lot of tension. Whereas if parents can understand that, like, you don't have to control your child, you just have to provide some structure for them and let them work within that, right? And again, it comes back to that balance where some people are naturally more favored towards structure and some people really like to be able to just go with the flow. And so having to navigate how to bring all of that into the same space.
0: You, I think, bring up a wonderful point, Jen, around structure. Because I mentioned little Laura earlier and her, her parents. Uh, part of what they were struggling with with her was they wanted her to be highly structured in this group setting. And because she didn't want to do that, they wanted her to put on medication, thinking medicine will make her be able to do this. And Laura wanted to be in her bunk bed playing with her Barbie dolls. Yeah, she knew was what was her,
1: correct for her.
0: That was her coping strategy for the situation. So I think we want to be really careful about imposing our best structure you know, on other people around us. That said, I know that the clients that are doing the best are those that are able to set up an internal structure in the home that works best for them. So really, I think everybody listening, one of the things I've learned is you need a daily schedule. Mm -hmm. You got to get up, get showered, get washed, get the program going. You know, and that works well for living in this type of environment. So it's really how do we use the structure we need to make our lives work?
1: Right. Well, I think some of what's helpful is this is sort of an example of doing something up front that pays off later. But it's really sort of creating this family calendar that is very visual. We're very visual creatures, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you have like, you know, dad's purple and mom is yellow or whatever, like kids are very used to seeing calendars and they understand how they work. And so if you sit down and explain sort of like, here is how our schedule works, I think some semblance of routine is really, really helpful for kids. I think the question is for some people, things become really rigid and for other people, like there's a lack of structure. So it's really, how do you find that middle ground where you have some routine, but for people who like some flexibility, there's flexibility within the routine. And and so this looks different for every family. And that's why there is no one like, here's the perfect calendar. It's really about Learning to tap into, though, like what works for you. And I find it's actually much easier with really young children because really young children are just very clear on who they are. Whereas when you have children who are older, they are more likely to be trying to give you the response that you're looking for.
0: I I definitely agree with that from my work with both younger, the little four-year-old and then the nine-year-old who's struggling to Laura to please her parents. She wants them to think she's doing really well with this. You know, but it's our job, I think, whether we're friends or whether we're therapists to really help the people around us and give them honest feedback about this. I guess to kind of sum up, the work situation, Uh, I think there's a lot of things that we could talk about in the unmask uh, kind of series here. And one is that uh, the work is gonna be a big part for everyone, we've gotta find a way to keep doing some meaningful, purposeful activity. And I, I, you know, I'd also like to reach out to the listeners out there who don't have work right now. And that's a struggle, I think, for a lot of people. What are they going to do about that? What, how do they feel about themselves? Uh, you know, They need to reach out to others, and they need to have purposeful activity, even though they're not working in the way they might have traditionally.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to the idea I brought up earlier, which is that in order to be able to be in a more creative opportunistic space, you've got to get first to a place of safety sense of stability. So working through some of those identity factors, you know, what is it that has led you to be so identified with your work? Are you defining your value by what you do rather than who you are as a person? That's very common, right? A lot of the studies are showing that as people are working from home, they are actually working more hours because they don't have this clear delineation. And I think that also speaks to sort of some of the problematic ideas we have around productivity being a reflection of our personal value. And so I think the other piece is that once you kind of get to a place where you do feel more stable, you can start looking at We have a lot of ideas about what work has to be, and I really think we do our best work when we find work that is well-suited to us and sort of how we function naturally. And a lot of people don't take the time or aren't given the time to do that type of reflection. And so in the in-between, I think this is a great time to do some of that reflection and say, what are my strengths, right? Part of that is going to help you figure out your future work, but it will also help you see that what you do isn't where your value comes from.
0: Or it's only a small part of it, what you do. Of course, we get value from that. But I think to remember that it's only part of a life and part of a series of relationships and part of us, an important part, but only a part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Jen, I want to thank you for really encouraging uh, us to do this and get this uh, whole podcast portion up and running. And I'm really looking forward to talking about some of the other issues. We were going to talk about COVID coping with uh, loss and death, which is a very important thing. Both of us have had clients who've really had COVID and suffered through this. And I think it's a very important part of life. And everybody has friends who are deeply affected by this, and then go more into gender issues and kids and some of the, the other issues we really see coming up at this time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of avenues for this to explore because there's so much that is changing. And I think, again, the, the more you can have these conversations, the more they allow you to think about what it is that you want for yourself and work towards being able to create that. So I'm glad that you suggested this because I think it's a wonderful idea.
0: Yeah, well, thanks again. And we'll talk again soon.
1: <laughs> okay, sounds good. Bye, Lynn. Bye.
0: Come on.